Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Well done. Good morning, everybody. Great to see so many lovely people here. Hands up if you are back from holidays. Only a few hands up who are yet to go on the summer holiday. A few more. Some people didn't put up their hand. Is that, what category is that? Just people staying here, not, they're not going, didn't go, staying. Hands up for those people. Still some people haven't put their hands up. I'm not going to spend the rest of my message time trying to work out who on earth you are. Um, you didn't put your hand up? Oh, the people who never put their hand up, put your hand up. Okay, um, Okay. reading here from Esther chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Uh, now, it took place in the days of, are you serious? Uh, it's, you've, that's the correct pronunciation of his name, by the way. Um, the same, are you serious, who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ayusirius sat on his royal throne, which was in the citadel in Susa, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces, being in his presence. So he gave this big thing. The main reason I wanted to uh, say that scripture was to to prove to you that his name is spelled, are you serious? Oh, that's how I see it because imagine you are a, a, a young uh, single woman and you are part of a minority in a kingdom that stretches from Ethiopia around to India. It's a huge kingdom and it's run by an egomaniac as a lot of, uh, a lot of kingdoms in human history have been run. Uh, and he's, he's decided he's going to have a party. Uh, he hasn't read uh, the little pamphlet that was handed out on the street uh, by some of, someone in his kingdom about signs that you may be turning into a dictator. Um, and, you know, you can think about this from, in terms of North Korea, uh, other places. He's, he's one of the indicators. Uh, just do a little tick off on your own life if this applies to you. You have more than three public executions of your enemies each year. Anyone? Number two, you start classifying people as enemies whose fashion sense doesn't match the palace decor of the month. Your sons turn, uh, run over and kill more than two people each time they go for a chariot race through the city markets. You start making up battles so you can have more ribbons on your chest. Uh, you hold more than five national records for sports that you've never actually played. Um, it's amazing when the North Korean Olympic team comes home, uh, they get off the plane, every one of them has a gold medal. And uh, Kim Jong-un is the, um, the best golfer in the world. First time he played, he beat all world records. You have more than 10 wives uh, and 90, more than 90% of your nation's economy revolves around the purchases of your palace uh, or your army. So you are a young single woman and you're in this place. And the king gets annoyed at his wife because she dares to say no. After he's had a a half-year-long party for all the nobles in his kingdom, 
Uh, he just wanted to show them how glorious he was. He also wanted to recruit more people into his army, uh, which went then subsequently went and poked uh, the Greeks in the eye and they lost a million people, which is interesting. But anyway, he's running these, this huge party and the last week of the party he has a special feast. He, he says you can drink as much wine, as much alcohol as you want and on the last day you can imagine how they're all just blotto. And then he says, uh, I just want to show you. Something that's really good. It's my wife. And his wife has been running a separate party for the women. Because Eastern culture, the men and the women are very different. And uh, it's interesting that God chose a woman to do his will in Esther. And uh, this guy wants to bring his wife in unveiled and show off to all the guys how lucky he is. He's a, she's a trophy wife. And she says, well, I'm not going to do that. I don't care who you are, I'm not going to do that. And she draws a line and then he doesn't know what to do. Here I am showing off my glory and my magnificent power and, and she won't do what she told. And he asks his advisors, what am I going to do with her? And they say, well, we can't have this. We can't have wives saying no to their husbands over the whole kingdom. What if word got out about this? So in all their wisdom, they put out a... Uh, a public memo that goes to every place all over the kingdom telling everybody what she had done okay the very thing they didn't want to know everyone to know they told her and then they said you what husbands are the rulers of their house and wives must do what they're told and then he gets rid of her and then if you read into Esther Esther is just full of all kinds of fantastic stuff but it's actually nearly four years later that he decides to have a beauty contest and he, he wants to have a new wife to replace the one that he lost. But in that intermediate time, he goes off and has a battle with the Greeks. He loses at least a million people. Some commentators believe it was two million men. So he wipes out a whole lot of the men in the society. So now he's got all these women. And he has a beauty contest to replace the queen. You know, this sounds like a crazy story, but the very same thing happened in 2005 with Kim King, Mswati the third of Swaziland. He, you know, it's one of the most impoverished nations on earth. That's actually another indicator that you're a dictator. All the people in your nation are, are poor, except for you. Have you noticed? Uh, King Mswati the third had a. He said, I'm, "I've only got twelve wives. I want another one." Um, he, you know, you find out one of the wives had run away, another one was upset, and he, so he probably wanted someone new. Anyway. That's a whole other preach right there. How do you keep a wife happy? Simply love her. That's from the musical Camelot, which is a biblical line in a unbiblical uh, play. Anyway, King Imswadi, and he had he put out this beauty contest, and he had fifty thousand of the women in his country show up in the stadium to try and become the new bride. He, he chose one. So this happens. And uh, King, King Mswati models himself, obviously, on this guy. And the contest was, you come in and you could become, if you win, you get to be the king's new queen. Even though he's got lots of other concubines all housed up in his harem there, uh, he also took hundreds of young men and castrated them every year to protect his uh, harem, which meant trying to stop them getting out, uh, as well as men getting in, I guess. But anyway... He, uh, he says, if you win, you become my wife and you get to live with me. 
And wouldn't it be every woman's dream to live with a, a drunk, fat megalomaniac? You know, who just commands them what to do every uh, time he wants, he wants them to jump as soon as he says jump. And if you lose the competition, then you go and live in the harem the rest of your life. You can't get married, you don't have kids, you don't see your family the rest of your life. What a great competition! Uh, unlike King Mswati, this was not a voluntary competition. This was go and get them all. And they rounded them up and, and there was probably a process of elimination. They reckon there's probably a couple of hundred women showed up for this thing. And then they spend a year getting ready uh, with all sorts of beauty treatments. Ladies, how would you like that? Okay, forget the competition for a moment. A year's worth of beauty, con- of beauty products. How about that? Mo- most of it was probably to get rid of the tan. Because tans were considered disgusting. So you get rid of the tan, turn into a, a nice white-skinned person, as white as you can be if you're, in that, if you're a Persian. Or uh, from Ethiopia, that's true. That nice, uh... Okay, let's move on. Okay. Also, to put on a little bit of weight. Because uh, the, the bigger you are, the richer you are in that sort of society. And so they needed to fatten them up, ready for the king. But, you know, the last, the, the, the last thing was that you had to spend a night with the king. And if he liked you, then he would call you back and you'd become the wife. If you didn't, that was it. What a great, what a great future these girls had. This guy was, uh, a rotten, it was a rotten situation. Esther was put into a rotten situation, and yet God used it for his glory. And God can do the same thing with you and I. We can find ourselves in a situation that's not of our own choosing, and it's not good. And it feels like it's overwhelming for us. What, what, there's no good options here, Lord. But, you know, God is a redeemer. That's the first point I want to say is that God is a redeemer. His specialty is taking bad situations and making them good. His specialty is taking broken people and making them whole. Specialty is taking poor people, people who are starved spiritually, financially, physically, and making them rich. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let let the weak say, I am strong, because I know that my Redeemer lives. Job had his life wiped out in a way. He had it taken off him. Uh, He got incredibly sick, lost family, lost money, lost everything. But he said in Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that little tiny little mustard seed of faith was all that God needed. And it's all that God needs in your situation to turn your situation around. He takes whatever we give him. God is like a master chef who comes into your house and you say, oh, could you cook for us while you're here? And he opens the fridge and there's some baked beans, some leftover rice, a sausage and a carrot. And he, thump, a little bit of master chef waffle dust and it becomes a four course feast. That's what God does with our lives. When we have a little bit of faith and see him as the redeemer. So Esther won the competition. And, uh, and, you know, she's actually housed with the rest of the women. I'm sure it was just a, a party in there. And uh, waiting for the king to call on her. This, this guy was just the supreme authority, supreme ruler. Uh, you couldn't just go and talk to your husband. You had to wait for him to ask for you to come. This is, uh, you know, a guy whose sele- who's pure whole selection criteria for the woman he wanted to marry was her looks and how good she was in bed. And unfortunately, there's men all the world over, including in our culture, and they're their whole criteria as well. And it, they're silly. They're stupid. And uh, where is the shared vision? Where is the, the shared values? 
Where is the mutual respect? Where is what God uh, designed marriage to be? And the whole book of Esther reminds us that God is right into women. There are still some churches who believe that women are supposed, women are supposed to submit to all men. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. And if anything, God is constantly exalting women in the Bible. He's constantly trying to get them back to that place in the, in the garden where men and women would mutually respond to his command to rule the earth together. It wasn't, oh, Adam, you rule the earth. Uh, Eve, find something to do to help Adam. Why don't you stand there whenever he needs a spanner, you grab the spanner. It wasn't the, the picture you know, God was right into my sons and daughters will prophesy. Jesus turned it right around. There's no longer male or female as far as he's concerned. Paul commends Junior, an apostle, a female apostle. I'm actually, um, I've finished a book now. It's going to be up uh, on our website soon. You'll be able to download it on my wife, church CEO, question mark. And it talks about the history of this. And Esther is a great example of God saying, Okay, I could use lightning bolts, uh, foreign armies, uh, but what I'll do, I'm going to take an orphan, uh, there's something else about this, so I'm going to take an orphan girl and I'm going to use her uh, to, to do my will. And God can take a complete nobody. God is into us and the more nobody we feel, the more God says, great, I can use you. It's when we start thinking that we are a somebody, God says, well, you know, you might have some things to learn about that. So God is a redeemer. God fixes things. He makes them better than before. He he is able to take a situation right away in the past and and redeem it uh, hundreds of years later. In this story, um, Esther was raised by her uncle Mordecai, and he... as well, if I just turn myself off, there we go. Hello, Mordecai managed, managed to get a palace job, and he would regularly meet with Esther somehow, or get messages through to her, and she'd get messages through to him, and he was advising her on what to do all the time. He's an image to us of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly guiding us, and God uses the Holy Spirit in uh, in our lives because. Um, I mean, scientists talk about the chaos theory. You might have heard of the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect, it was a term that came from a guy who was studying weather. And into his computer, he punched in all these numbers and uh, produced a prediction of how the weather would be at a certain time later. And then, of course, as a scientist, you want to repeat the process to see if it's repeatable, see if it's predictable. And the second time he came through... He changed the numbers by something like 0.0001 or something on one factor of the many factors, and the result was completely different. And so he said, well, it's just like a, the, the effect in the atmosphere of one butterfly flapping one wing can produce a change in the uh, movement of air that we cannot predict the change that it's going to be. And yet it takes God as redeemer, his infinite, unfathomable wisdom. And he's able to take all the factors of life, including your decisions and mine, your failures, your mistakes, my failures, my mistakes, the things that I thought were a good idea turn out to be a, a bad idea. And God can take all that. Don't worry about that, Paul. I can take that and I can use it. I can turn it around. I will make uh, all things work together for good. I can make it all turn around because I'm the Redeemer. I'm the Redeemer. Yes, I'm the Creator. We think of God as the Creator. We think of God as our Savior. He's also your Redeemer. 
He's a redeemer. He takes your life wherever you are. If you feel like you've missed plan A, you've missed plan B, you're down to about plan ZZ, ZZ. And I don't know why I said ZZ. Anyway, that's getting distracted. It's easy to say ZZ. And he says, don't worry, I've still got it. I've still got it. Let's have a look at this verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 27. It says here, I'll read it while we're going there. For truly, this is uh, in the Acts, talking to the people there. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with all the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So God organized for the, this guy, Pontius Pilate, he, I'm going to use him. I'm going to use this guy. I'm going to use Herod. I'm going to put them all together, and I'm, they're going to be exactly what I need to accomplish my purpose. Now, Mordecai, uh, who was uh, the uncle of Esther, was the descendant of a guy called Shimei, or Shimei. Shimei had been nasty to David, King David, and David forgave him and said, I'm, I'm extending grace to you. I'm going to forgive you. And here we have a descendant of that guy, Shimei's descendant, Mordecai, who's being used by God to save the entire nation. And uh, it's an example of hundreds of years later. You know, when Abraham went up one side of the mountain taking his son, believing he was going to stab him and kill him, up the other side of the mountain at the same time, God was bringing a ram. Why? Because he's already there. You know, he's already there. Whatever your situation is, God has already put a ram in the thickets. And he's already come around. He's got it ready for you. In your situation, you think, I'm, I'm coming to a brick wall. Well, God says, well, actually, I've just, if you just, just touch that wall, I'll show you something. And he'll start to move that for you. When our grandson comes out of, over to our house, he runs, boom, straight into a, an obstacle. Uh, you know, we can just move that aside. And then he, he charges on thinks, wow, I'm Superman. And God was really keen to use a whole lot of, uh, of, of nobodies and turn us into super people. And he turned Esther into a super person. We would never have heard of Esther if she hadn't been forced into a beauty contest she didn't want to go in. Uh, and it was against uh, the, even the, against the Jewish faith to go and sleep with some guy you're not married to, uh, who's not a Jew. You know, all of the situation seemed so bad. And God said, actually, it's going to be so good. And we can say the same thing uh, of our own lives. God has gone before. His specialty is when we're attacked. He can use what is meant for evil against Joseph and make it for good. He already had Esther in place when this guy Haman came up to the king and said, I've got a great idea. For various reasons, he wanted to kill the Jews, all to do with Mordecai. Read it for yourself. But he said, I want permission to kill all these Jews. They're immigrants into our country. We brought them in when we defeated their country. And then just nobodies. They're horrible. They don't do what we want them to do. They don't believe what we believe. I want to get rid of them. And the king said, whatever. Of course, he's a megalomaniac. He had executions pretty regularly himself. Let's have a few more. And so he let his number two guy do that, but God had Esther there. And let's ha- have a look here at Esther chapter 4, verse 8. Mordecai told him, 
Oh, sorry, seven. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him, him is a, uh, a contact of Esther's in the harem, a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for the destruction of the Jews. Because they put out a, a memo saying, you know, in a certain number of months' time, on the 13th day of the Jewish month of Adar, all the Jews are going to be wiped out. That's the announcement. And you're a Jew. You're going about your business as an immigrant, slave kind of person. You're doing a rotten job somewhere. Uh, you don't bring people in from a defeated country and give them all the top jobs. Although God can change a bit of that, as he did with Daniel and Joseph. But uh, they suddenly reading on the wall or hearing, we're all going to be killed on the 13th day of Adar in a few months that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go to the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for all the people. Mordecai said, you've got to do something, Esther. Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to, in, to reply to Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any person who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I've, been, I've not been summoned to come to the king for 30 days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than the, the rest of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. See, God's already got some other plan. But he's asking for our cooperation. And he gives us a chance to be involved. Do you want to be involved? Do you want to be involved? Because you've got a chance. But if you don't take it, cool. I'll just pass it over and we'll give someone else a chance. Uh, And you and all your house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, well, I perish. What a woman of faith. If I perish, I perish, okay? All that was asked of her was willingness. That's all that God asks of us, willingness. And he knows how to custom make an opportunity for you to do something for him that is just custom made for you. And you say, well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't risk my life doing that. And he says, oh, okay. Uh, how about if you just speak to this person and just mention that you go to church on Sundays? Can you manage that? And we say, I'm willing. So tomorrow morning, as you're praying, you say, God, is there anything you'd like me to do? And the next day, you say, God, is there anything you'd like me to do? Because I'm willing. And the next day, God, is there anything? I've added this to, since I've done this preparation for this message, I've added this to my morning prayer. God, is there anything you'd like me to do? Right now or later today? Is there anything? Or you, I need to plan for something for this week. Is there anything? And you, and you just wait on the Lord. Because, you know, it's in, this, it's in the, a moment of prayer and, and reflection. Mel talked about Mary being a reflector. It's in a place of reflector that we, reflection we hear from God. The Holy Spirit, God didn't, did not just create the world and say, uh, let there be light. First of all, the Holy Spirit brooded. 
He brooded. He, he, he was just uh, dreamy and building up something. And Esther's got these people praying. You've got to create this. The Bible talks about, it's got two words uh, in the Hebrew for time. One is chronos, oh, sorry, in the Greek for time. One is chronos, one is kairos. In the, in the Hebrew, it's called the appointed time. So chronos is all about time, calendar, months, days, months, uh, months, days, weeks, years, minutes, hours, seconds. They're all the times. God's got those under control. But he's also got kairos moments. Kairos is about seasons. It's a time to plant. It's a time to harvest. It might not be that exact day, but you'll know the time. And we have kairos moments in our life. It's a moment where you feel that you know that you know that God is saying you've got to do this and you can step in or you can step back. And God will use your free choice as part of his amazing plan. You know, he is interested in introducing us to the opportunity to, to be a co-laborer. It says here, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. And that same scripture just before that talks about some people plant, some people water. The thing is, we are his fellow workers and the times come. If we are willing, if we say, ultimately, if I die, I die, which is what Jesus said. Look, if I die, I die. But I'm willing to do this. Kairos moments, appointed times. The Holy Spirit brooded over the earth, waiting, waiting in the, for, the, for the darkness. And then at the right appointed time, it was right. And God said that there'd be light. And it does the same thing in your life and my life as we pray over a situation. We pray, we pray, we pray. Do we buy this house? Do we buy this house? Do we buy this house, Lord? Give us wisdom. Might take days, weeks. Who knows? Might take hours. Do we buy this house? And then you get a sense. You get a growing sense of God speaking. And then the appointed time. Let's go. It's now. And the same thing just in talking to somebody next to you at work. Now is not the right time. He's going to pray for this person, praying, 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 like we did this morning, pray for people we know. And then at just the right time, God says, invite them to that. Or he says, go and and have a coffee with them right now. They've just left to have a coffee, go with them. And if we are people who do not pray, we will not have Kairos moments. We'll miss it. If the farmer is too busy watching TV, he's not going to plant at the right appointed time. He's missed it. He's not noticed that it's been raining for a couple of weeks. It's been just getting ready. And now the temperature's just shifted. Now the winds change. Okay, it's time. And we need to become people in the journey and the adventure of faith who know the times and the seasons. Nothing for hundreds of years and then bam, God moves. The book of Esther is unique in the Bible. It does not mention the word God. Nowhere in Esther does it mention the word God and yet he is everywhere. He's in the background. He's shifting things around. He's creating the butterfly effect to suit him and create the conditions. And he's all there. We sometimes think in our lives, where are you, God? I don't see you. He's there. He's there. We don't always see him. We don't always say him. We don't always expect him to see him come as we expect. But God is moving, shifting things around for us. We are in a covenant with God. 
And God is constantly coming back to us, coming, coming back to us. He's with us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. Look, this is a contract. A contract is like a monkey grip. And if one partner fails, contract breaks. We're not in a contract with God. We're in a covenant with God. This is a covenant. It's very strong. And no matter how often we let go, because he never lets go, how often we let go, the, the covenant is in place. God will never let us go. And he's not just a little hand the same size as ours. It's a massive, huge, strong promise. He says, if you give me my life, I'll look after you. I will be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. You will be with me for eternity. I'll show you the future and the hope that I have for you. The promises of God go on and on and on. And we're in a covenant with him. And sometimes we let go. We fail. And we measure our relationship with God. Instead of measuring it by his grip, we measure it by our grip. We think, I haven't prayed for a few days. Oh, no, my relationship with God is hopeless. I haven't seen God move for a while. Oh, my relationship with God. Oh, I failed him again. I did something wrong. And we think, oh, I haven't held on to God. I haven't gone to church for, for months. Oh, my relationship with God is gone. It's over. It's finished. God's still got you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I've got a covenant with you. It's like marriage. You know, there's a difference between your mum and the dentist. You have a contract with a dentist. You have a covenant with your mum. You know, when you are late for the dentist, the dentist looks at the watch and says, okay, next, next patient. That's it. And they just leave you with the secretary and you can make up your own uh, future appointment to make up for being late, missing the, the, the appointed time. If you are late home, your mum doesn't say, okay, where's the next child? We'll just feed them. You know, that one is out. No, the mother starts to say, okay, where is the child? Okay, start ringing. Can't get the phone. Okay, and soon before you know it, you've got all the neighbours, friends, family, the army, the air force, everybody's out looking for you because you are in a covenant relationship with your mum. She has promised, I'm going to look after this child. God is a covenant God. And he's not going to let us go. When we hold on to him, he says, great, I know you're going to let go of me a million times in your relationship with me, but I'm never going to let go of you. You can always, always, always come back to God and he'll be there just as strong. Yep, still here, still here. We just need to be willing. All right, the last thing I want to say is... uh, People hold the key to your destiny. Uh, Mordecai just happened to be the one who adopted Esther. Uh, if you read in the book of Esther, you'll see that the person who's in charge of all the concubines and harem and everything else just happened to think that uh, Esther was better than the rest already. And so there's, there's things that happen in our lives that are, that are providential relationships. I can't count the number of people in my life who have made my life you know relationship is everything margaret wheatley a philosopher says relationships are all there is everything in the universe exists because it is in relationship to everything else 
Nothing exists in isolation. We have to stop pretending that we can do it by ourselves, that we can go alone. Poverty is not so much about a lack of money, but isolation from people that can help us make more of ourselves. People who are connected with real people are mentally and physically healthier, and they live longer. We need other people. People are like uh, huge, uh, they've got huge key rings here with masses of keys on them. You've got a huge key ring on you with masses of keys on them. And everybody who comes into your life, you can give them a few keys. And everybody who comes into your life has a key for you. Are you listening? Are you able to hear what they're saying? It doesn't matter how rich they are, how smart they are, how old they are, how, uh, how young they are. You can learn from a person. You can say, well, I picked up a key. And there are people who have given me keys. that have inspired me. Look at this scripture in Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I need you. You need me. It's one of the reasons we're doing these church barbecues is because we just need the opportunity as humans, we need to rub up against other people who inspire us and to go further and challenge us to do more. I just happened to meet people in my life who challenged me to do more for God or to, 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 to love God more. I've got great friends who've given me huge keys that have unlocked things that would never have been unlocked if I haven't met that person. And if we're, just, uh, if we're not talking to other people who are strong Christians, if we're not meeting new people, you know, there's amazing people in this church. Uh, we've got all, all kinds of people with all sorts of gifts and experiences and backgrounds, and they've got they're people you need to meet. There are people who you need to have lunch with. And, uh, you know, we've had, I, I don't know if Angela Breeze is here today, but um, I remember when she came into the church, just checking out the church, and I happened to be the school principal, and, and she happened to be a teacher looking for a job, and we happened to need someone who had her skills. And, you know, these things happen when we are on the lookout for them. And Esther and Mordecai happened to be associated and Mordecai happened to be someone who challenged her go and do this God wants you to do this go and do this you need to have up a, a whole swag of people in your life who say the same thing to you you need to do this I feel that God wants you to do this let's close our eyes thank you Lord God thank you that you are our covenant God that you are constantly available to take us into your grip of grace, the grip that never lets us go. Lord God, I pray that even today that there are people who've never reached out their hand, their spiritual hand towards you, that they'll reach out to you and find the grip of grace. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.